everyone. Welcome back to Make Do. I'm Julia Scott. And I'm Tiff Arment. Uh, also known as Tarment Craftsbait. <laughs> oh, apparently, yes. There's some crazy art out there. I love it. <laughs> we joked about that at the end of our episode with Merlin Mann, or at the end end, like sometimes I sneak in little weird Easter eggs after the, the closing music. Uh, and we talked about sort of, I guess, what your D&D name would be mm-hmm. and possibly Game of Thrones name. And uh, Audie Norman on, on Twitter and Instagram did fan art of Tarment, Craftsbane of House <laughs> Tarment in both black and white and color. And it's amazing. I like that I kind of have a little hint of your hair in the colored mm-hmm. version. I feel like that's like a tribute to you. And <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's awesome. We'll definitely, uh, definitely link it in the show notes. It's amazing. I know. I feel pretty epic, actually. I feel very powerful looking at that image. <laughs> As you should. Uh, I want to see you Ooh, that's your Halloween costume. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, the Relay Anniversary Live Show is on August 22nd. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there are still tickets when you're listening to this, if you're listening in time to get tickets. Uh, and then both Tiff and I will be at the San Francisco Pen Show. So come say hi. Yes, we will be. And hopefully we will see some listeners there and we'll get some really cool feedback. And we'll also be recording together. So that'll be great. Yep, yep. This month, we'll be celebrating Relay's fifth birthday and what a five years it's been. And if you enjoy listening to the show and you'd love to become a member, by signing up to membership, you'll get access to members-only content, including a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter, 5K desktop wallpapers of Relay FM show artwork, a monthly Relay FM host crossover show, discounted merch on their new storefront. There's just, there's so much great stuff that you get access to. And you also get access to a bonus feed of episodes of Relay shows that publish their members only things throughout August and September. Including us this year, because uh, we we moved to Relay just after uh, the anniversary last year. So we did make a bonus episode, but this year you're getting one. That's right. So we'll definitely be hawking that <laughs> out there. <laughs> Make sure that everyone comes and subscribes to get our bonus episode. And the membership is just $5 a month. And that'll include access to our special bonus show, which we will be recording together. And we have kind of a fun game to play. So it will be a very different show for us. And I'm really, really excited for it. Yeah. And you can pick uh, higher tiers as well if you want to give us a bajillion dollars. Uh, and you can support all the shows or just us. I won't tell you which one, but you know which one. And we would love your support because it helps keep this show going. And we really enjoy doing it. So <laughs> become a member. <laughs> yeah, you can go to relay.fm slash make do to become a member of, of make do. Or you can learn more, support a bunch of shows at relay.fm slash membership. So that's relay.fm slash make do our regular URL? Yeah, which is the best one. You Obviously. should do that one. <laughs> or really not if I'm membership. So thank you for supporting Relay and supporting Make Do. So we have a cool episode today. I'm really yeah. actually very excited about this because I really like feedback <laughs> from our from our wonderful listeners and we got a whole bunch of questions. Yeah, so we're doing a Q&A episode uh, and we got some amazing questions. Again, some of them were possibly like a whole episode topic, but we'll do our best to answer a bunch of them. Tiff has been very organized going through this. I'm a mm-hmm. little worried that I will sound uh, like a dum-dum, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so we got some questions from uh, the Pen Addict Slack. 
So we have from Diana a few questions. What are the differences and similarities between making digital content, podcasting, and making art? My answer to this is, um, can it all be art? Like, (laughs) isn't it all a little, like, it's all kind of creative, isn't it? I mean, I feel like making podcasts is creative, even if you're, it's just one of the talk to your friends kind of podcasts. There's still editing that goes into it. There's still thought about the content and the people that you're talking to. I, I feel like it's all kind of a creative endeavor that you're producing something. So I don't really want there to be much much of a distinction between the two. I think you find joy and creativity in both of those things. I mean, at least I do. Yeah, I think like because also with with podcasting and that kind of thing, you you most people grow and get better. Like it is, you know, an art form, a form of performance that you can get better at. I think maybe one of the differences is that podcasting is a a medium that kind of demands an audience. Uh, I mean, you can totally have a podcast that like three people listen to if it makes you happy making it, but it is, it's not really something that you sort of do on your own and never actually put anywhere. So that's maybe the wonder, like you can make a ton of art that you never actually share with anyone. That might be. You can make a ton of podcasts you don't share with anybody. You just record them, just have them. (laughs) (laughs) Call it a podcast. True, but I think that's less common. It is. The next question, do you have a position on the argument that artists should be able to make a livelihood from their art? I will say I'm, I have two different stances on this, where one is that I feel that society as a whole, most countries should have more sort of systems and structures in place that encourage and help people to make art and to make art that isn't necessarily like you know, increases the the gross national product that isn't necessarily, you know, doesn't necessarily make a lot of money or because art matters, because art makes a difference to people. So that's like the one thing where I think there should be more grants and more stuff like that. And that's, you know, my little crazy leftist utopia. And then the other is that I think people need to be prepared and willing and understanding to pay decent money for art that they want or that they find and like beyond that you can't demand to be like you don't have the right to demand to be able to make a living from your art you still have to somewhat exist in like a either capitalist or a barter society where other people find different worth in your art and maybe don't want to buy it or not enough people want to buy it so you can't be like I have to sell this painting for seventy thousand dollars because that's the only painting I will sell this year, you know, that kind of thing. So I think you should be able to make a living if you're a decent artist producing decent amounts, kind of, but you shouldn't just be able to do it in general, which goes a little bit against my uh, support the artists, state, give them money. But do you see what I mean? Like two kind of different, different things. You should be able to make decent income from your art, but you can't totally expect to make a living living out of it. I'm kind of with you in this same vein with what I feel. It's like, I feel like artists should be paid what they are worth. And I think that it's important that other people find value in art. But at the same time, there is the market economy and not everyone is going to be able to be a profitable artist. Uh, Not everything that everyone makes is going to be wanted by other people. And that's where it gets to be tricky, right? Like you have to kind of, if you want to 
be a um in the black artist <laughs> I can I say that? or like a um you know if, if you want to be a an artist that makes a living from your craft then it is a way you have to still find what people want to buy and I think that that's just as important um but at the same time, like you said, having grants and more systems in place for encouragement and also the idea that something that somebody made has value is really important to the sustainability of a lot of artists' careers. And I think that for a while we had a time where people weren't seeing a lot of value in something that someone makes. And, and I think we're getting back to that now. And it's, it's much better that way. Yeah, definitely. And I think like there there probably would be ways to make it so that you still need quite a bit of passion to be able to, you know, get that that all those grants and things. Like I don't think it should be like, oh, anyone who doesn't want to work should be able to make a living, you know, doing three macrame things a month. Mm-hmm. Just like if if you're really passionate, if it is what you care about, you're probably like most artists okay with not making a huge living out of it, but like having the the security, the stability to grow and experiment without having to like sell your bed to be able to buy oil paints, you know, that, that kind of thing. Just like finding, doing maybe all of the weird crappy stuff that's what gets you to these fascinating sculptures that make people feel things. Hmm. Next question, and I think this one is kind of evil. Uh, one art medium or craft that you would like to learn? I know this one. This one's <laughs> easy for me. There's two. One is uh pottery throwing i'm very keen on learning that i'm i really really want to do that i i did it a little bit in um like middle school because the our art program was pretty great but i would really like to actually learn how to do this and glass blowing because i can't <laughs> stop watching the glass blowing show which is amazing so thank Isn't you julia for the best recommendation of the year oh yeah, my blown gosh away on netflix so many people have told me that they started watching it after i so recommended good. it yes i wonder if we could find like an open pottery studio in san francisco sneak away for a couple of hours Ooh, i like that mm, we could we could kidnap adina as well excellent i can't pick one like i i'm like all of them and then I go through sort of periods of what's kind of at the forefront of okay. my mental line. So pick, pick two. I pick two so you can pick two. Um, right now, what's what's your top contender? What would you go to first? I don't even know. All of them. No, I, I would <laughs> like to learn to work with oil paints. Like to really get like have some... Maybe we should find an open studio for that and you can teach me. No, but like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I open the paint and I use it. <laughs> they're such an interesting medium because of their sort of s- slow, slow, I was going to say half-life, but like they're, they're, they're plastic for so long and you can, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that I really would, would like to learn. I mean, that's why I like them. Yeah. And <laughs> probably also glass blowing because it's such an, like a, a wild thing to do somebody somebody messaged us to suggest that we should like take an art blowing workshop for like a couple of days and have uh steven hackett from from relay film it like we should kickstart and i was like i want to kickstart now uh tiff tiff and julia's uh magical mystery tour workshop bonanza that sounds (laughs) amazing we'll get back to you on that speaking of making a living from art be like (laughs) will we have eyebrows when this is done 
Oh, eyebrows are so in right now. I don't know. I've been working really hard on my eyebrow game. So I don't know if I can let them go for something. We're gonna have to kickstart a lot for me to lose my eyebrows. Because <laughs> I'm gonna need to pay to get them back. <laughs> or we'll just have to get specially made extra high goggles to, to protect them. Yeah, or we're just gonna have to um, factor in the replacement eyebrows <laughs> into the Kickstarter. They make really good eyebrow wigs nowadays. Ooh. JBK asks, can you think of a way that plastic bags of varying thicknesses could be used for art rather than sent to landfill? My local council can't recycle them. I immediately thought of what's called plarn or plastic yarn. Yeah, me too. That's what I thought of. Okay. Yeah, where you like, cut, cut up long strips of plastic bags and then either uh, twist them a little or right away use them to usually crochet because you can get a pretty like stiff material. People use them for bath mats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely rugs and stuff. Yeah. Storage bags and baskets. Um, you could probably use them also to make like weird sculpture thingies from mm-hmm. the plarn or from the plastic bags. Now I'm thinking like you could use them to... You, if you use like glue and fire to make the plastic contort in weird ways, please use ventilation, super... proper ventilation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and watch your eyebrows. <laughs> Always the eyebrows. I'm also very fond of my eyebrows. Uh, Mentis asks, how do you both think about the relationship between productivity and creativity? Do you find yourselves wanting or needing to increase output? Is that at odds with your creative process? And I feel like we come back to this a lot like trying to fight that achiever mentality of being like look I did a thing it's finished it's good I have something to show off and I have something new to show off at acceptable intervals and I think that it kind of is for me sometimes at odds with my creative process sometimes it isn't sometimes I'm like you know make all the things fun look I I have like tangible proof and sometimes I have to remind myself of like well that thing sitting and drawing feet over and over again. It's not what most people would call productive, but it is sometimes it has to be part of the process. See, I wrote down, I'm productive when I'm happy and I'm happy when I'm creative. So it's like they all kind of... Oh, that's much nicer than mine. (laughs) (laughs) They all kind of work together, but then it goes in the reverse too. If I'm unhappy, then I'm not productive and then I'm not being creative. And so it's just... It's all of this. It kind of works all together for me anyway. And the idea of productivity and creativity, they, they're they definitely very intertwined. And I feel like sometimes if I just focus on productivity, then it just makes me unhappy. So it, it just all falls apart. <laughs> I guess that's a really bad way to um, think about if I ever did want to have a business. It's like, oh, well. I'm only I'm only running well, like it's successful when I'm feeling happy. But that's a good incentive to make sure you stay happy. I realize also that... Must stay happy. (laughs) I I kind of also very much mentally link productivity and like this idea of output because it's hard to convince yourself and sometimes other people that productive can be a much more abstract concept. Because I think it is like being productive in the sense of this is making me happy. Uh, this is making me better at a thing, even if it doesn't literally produce a thing. Mm-hmm. So in that way, being productive is just like, this makes me happy. This makes me better at knitting this, um, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then there's a long question, and I'm going to give you this one. Do you know of an archival quality pen that has similar properties as a pencil? 
For example, shading works almost the same way using ballpoint pens as with pencils, but pencil drawing sometimes smudges and ballpoint pen drawing has uh, the color ink fade over time. Is there something that combines the permanency of archival pens and the ease of shading pencils? So... I definitely took this question and I went over to Brad Dowdy of the Pen Addict or in the Pen Addict podcast. He says, woof, that's a tough one. The one thing off the top of my head is old school iron gall ink, like the original walnut stuff. You would need a dip pen, but the output gives you a wide range of base color, in this case brown, and there are other natural shades. It would also have to be manipulated when wet. I'm not sure you can get it to change when dry. So that was his kind of um, initial answer after getting thrown that question basically this morning. So because <laughs> I, I, I don't know, I don't have an answer to this question. I don't know enough about what's out there to give a good answer. So your best case might be going over and listen to a whole bunch of pen addict. <laughs> I think also like depending on what you mean by shading, because for me, sometimes I think of pencil shading as actually smudging it, like when you're sort of rubbing into it and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But if it's just more like drawn shading, I would think that a lot of sort of micron type pens, a bunch of them are archival quality uh, and you could do the same kind of like fine, fine drawing. You don't get quite the same type of smooth motion that both pencils and ballpoint pens usually have over paper. But with a lot of them, you can still get a fairly smooth motion. Like it, it has a slightly different hand feel, but that might also work. Uh, Also, do you have any suggestions of how to go about making stationery? I'm a fan of journals that have little illustrations on each page spread and would like to make one, but doing it by hand one by one seems impractical. Any ideas? First, at at first, when I read this question, I thought like making stationery, like making paper, which my mom has uh, done in the past, like making Mm -hmm. your own paper from Mm -hmm. old paper and like dryer lint and leaves and stuff. Uh, which is also super fun. And she's right now taking or has taken bookbinding classes. So that's one of her new hobbies. Uh, but when it comes to the illustrations, like part of me is like doing it by hand one by one seems awesome if you want different ones. But I would imagine that like most printer places, both like online or if you have small like mom and pop brick and mortar stores, if you give them a drawing that you've made and say, I want this at the corner of every page, I don't see how that would be a problem, right? Yeah. I mean, there are a number of websites, like even some place like Minted or, you know, just like the big print houses that normally do stuff like invitations. They usually have a stationary section where you can kind of get your artwork onto like a pad of paper. It's not going to be the best quality paper that you're going to find out there. I think that would need to be more of a finding a bigger printer to do something like that. And I'm not sure if they would do a one-off, but that's my best idea. I got it. I got a second idea. You could, uh, depending on what kind of illustration it is, you could have a stamp ordered. uh, So that you get like the line, the line drawing, and then you could both like stamp it on every page. You could put it. You can also carve your own stamp. That too. Oh, Because then you could also put it on like, you know, your letter writing papers or your uh, post-it and then everybody will know like this is not this note is from the desk of type of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if, if you're the super crafty type, you can carve your own. There are special like carving lino material, but you can also do it in um, potatoes. Most erasers. OK, potatoes don't last as long, but erasers <laughs> will last a little longer. So that could also be a possibility. 
I have a stamp Potato. carving. No, I have a stamp carving kit that I've been waiting to use this summer when I get a chance. I'm very excited about it. I ordered it from um, someone on Instagram. Very excited. Be careful with your fingers. Yep. There they go. <laughs> <laughs> so long, fingers. It was nice knowing you. Chewbacca, who makes awesome pens, uh, asks, I've noticed on the opposite side of imposter syndrome is the tendency for people to be overly enthusiastic about stuff people make, even if it's objectively poorly made. When I see this, I have a tendency to discount all praise because I don't know if they're saying it to be nice or if it's genuinely good stuff. The only objective measure I've, I've found is if people spend their hard-earned cash for things I've made uh, preferably more than once. And I totally feel this. And I think we've talked about this when you're like, you don't understand what's hard and what's not. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what the answer is. Like, because I think a lot of people do have the tendency to not acknowledge praise because you're like, well, you know, I'm not that great. So it is kind of the same thing as imposter syndrome where you're like, well, obviously my things can't be that great if someone who liked this super simple thing also likes mine. And I think part of it is, you know, people are nice. Uh, sometimes people, maybe they don't understand quality. They just like things that they like, you know? Or people will be impressed with something that they can't themselves do, whether it is a novice level beginner doing that thing or it's an expert. They still see value and achievement in that because it's like, wow, that's something even at the beginning level I haven't been able to do or I've never thought I could do or I can't do. And so that those praises are coming from a genuine place. But what I wrote down is it is difficult to accept praise from sources that seem disingenuous, but it's like, I find the best praise from another professional in the same field that feels very earned. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there are ways, you know, you just be polite and say, thank you very much for the people who the praise isn't, what you you know you have that (laughs) that doubt in the back of your head but you know you can you can really enjoy the praise from people you respect as well and so it's it's going to be out there I don't think that you need to be showered in joy from every single (laughs) comment that somebody gives you yeah I really like your point about sort of context praise like Mm -hmm. For a total beginner, you know, their potato stamp is super impressive. And, and like, for them, that's a 9 out of 10 like for their context. And then if you're super great and make these, like, amazing multicolor, huge lino prints, that can still be a 9 out of 10 for your context. And both of those things can be true mm-hmm. from the same person. But you might not say anything more on Instagram than, wow, that looks great for both things. And it can still be true. Exactly. So you can find praise in more places than just um, show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I do under- totally understand that thing. Oh, me like, too. Well, you know, like I joke, you know, when people walk around at markets and they're like, yeah, you say this is nice, but you haven't bought anything. So mm-hmm. which is not necessarily true. Sometimes, you know, when you have a bad day. So I get that when like, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Uh, Incantadora asks a uh, question for a friend whom I'm trying to get hooked on the show. When you're genuinely good at practically all you do. Sounds nice. That was me, not her. Uh, how do you pick one to focus on in order to excel uh, or to improve by practicing more on a single activity rather than 20? When I thought about answering this question, I think about the thing that makes would make me the most happy. Uh, the thing that I feel gravitated towards wanting to do the most. So I feel like just because you're good at something doesn't mean that it's going to be the thing that gives you the joy and satisfaction when you complete it. 
So I would go with definitely the the thing you're enjoying the most. And if you know what, you kind of ping pong around those different things. That's okay. Like yesterday, I had I had at the dining room table, I had painting on one side, I had drawing on the other. And then I had my iPad open um, at another spot. And I literally just kept walking around the table every 20 <laughs> minutes and getting up and doing something different because I couldn't figure out what I actually wanted to do. So there's that. <laughs> Yeah, and no, I, I agree, like do do the thing that makes you happy. And that can be 20 different things over the course of, you know, multiple weeks. Part of me is also like I keep coming back and I keep, you know, yapping about like, why is it important to excel? Why do you have to get extra good at one of them? Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you never get the time to practice to get good at any of them, that's something. But this sounds like someone who is just generally generically artistic and good at things. Sometimes, like like you say, too, it can be good to not focus on the thing that you're the best at or that you've already practiced enough to excel at, sort of along the same lines as, you know, when your hobby becomes your job uh, or when you become really, really good at something, it, it can also be fun and good to focus on something that you're not good at or like a totally new thing to find that joy of development again. You could also... Like, I like your thing of the thing that makes you happy. Or maybe you have to think of like, okay, I can have one one artistic hobby that takes a bunch of tools. And then I, ha- I can have like a- another handful that don't require a whole bookshelf. Like you can't, mm-hmm. unless unless you have a super huge house and unlimited amounts of money, and in which case I'm adoptable, uh, <laughs> you, you can't have 20 hobbies that are all like on the same level of making huge murals or whatever it might be like you you can't have all the tools all the supplies and all the space this is my glass for- blowing room this is my <laughs> pottery room this is my weaving room <laughs> oh yeah no i mean that's that it's the dream but for most people that's probably not true but i i, I like that because i think a lot of artistic people are like that like we you know both you and i are like ooh, mm-hmm. new thing so much oh my goodness <laughs> uh on instagram we got an uh, a question from username that cracked me up uh, marcus fartist uh, <laughs> who's wondering what our favorite art or artist resources are like for tutorials model or stock images calls for submission etc uh, or anything else that we think is cool i feel like i have the worst answer which is just like internet you know like <laughs> yeah, I, I will i will i will search when i have a specific need Yep. So I guess like in a way it's Google, but that's the the shorthand for the internet. So like sometimes I'll use Pinterest to try to find specific examples of something because they can be pretty good at like curating and collecting things. And they have a pretty good algorithm to like push you forward for similar things. Oh, yeah. I use that a lot. I use it for trying to find how to do fabric folds, like how to draw and paint folds of fabric and Pinterest was by far one of the better sources because once I found one that I liked, I very quickly found 20 more. So mm-hmm. it has been a really fantastic resource when it comes to finding just small visual indications of like drawing tutorials and stuff like that. I absolutely love Pinterest and then uh, YouTube, right? Like yeah, everything is on YouTube and if you um, follow different artists or people that you respect and want to get better at the craft that they are doing on Instagram, or a lot of times the people will, um, the artists will advertise classes that they are offering independently, and they'll talk about it 
on Instagram because they want people to take and pay for their classes. And so Mm -hmm. I have, I've bought a macaroon class on there (laughs) to, from someone who teaches how to do macarons. So it is, I think, a really useful resource to see what just kind of everyday people who are really good at what they do putting out there a chance for everyone to learn and for them to, you know, profit a little bit from it, which I am not going to, you know, I think everyone should profit from their (laughs) own knowledge. So I'm all for paying for classes or tutorial videos that people want to put out there, especially if they're very good. Also for, for model and reference images, I love when artists share them taking pictures, especially like illustrators and comic book artists, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. when they share all the pictures that they've taken on like their photo booth or on their phone of like, oh, this is what you look like in this pose. And then they show like, and this was the result. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're trying to figure out like where do the arms go on a long sword or whatever. I love those. So don't discount that as well. Like using pictures of yourself or your own hand to for reference. Yeah, my phone's real clogged up with some <laughs> crazy <laughs> pictures of myself. <laughs> I've been loving your uh, sort of selfie experiment over the past couple of months because you talked about that, like you A, wanted to get more comfortable with taking selfies and B, wanted more references for your uh, planned self-portrait further mm-hmm. on. Yep. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Uh, also on Instagram, Sarah Curtis 789 asks, how do you keep cool in summer when knitting or crocheting a project? Uh, I will say there are times where I just like don't pick up a specific project for most of the summer because I, I cannot bear having something large and fuzzy and warm on my lap for very long. I know there are people who have those like fold out sort of bed breakfast tray things so that your knitting isn't touching your lap and that's possible you know a possibility depending on how you sit and your ergonomics so I think for me mostly it's just like I'll knit smaller things uh certain yarns also get really impractical and uncomfortable on your hands when you get warm because either your hands get a little sweaty uh or the yarn poofs out in an unpleasant way so sometimes I just you know adjust for for the type of yarn. And then I think the rest is just like the, all the other stuff that you do to keep cool. Like sit in front of a fan, go outside. I have I have yet to knit while swimming in a lake, but I kind of <laughs> want to. <laughs> Aqua knitting. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and on Twitter, we had a question from Kit Monster. Uh, what's a thing that appears to be well-loved by other people who do similar art, but that you totally don't get, uh, or vice versa, um, and... Their example is, I'm a spinner who really hates art yarn. I often think it's a waste of good fiber. I have a good one for this. Acrylic paint. I hate acrylic paint. It's the worst. So many people use it, and I just don't know how they do it. It (laughs) dries, and it doesn't mix right. It is an absolute disaster. (laughs) I've been using it to paint on rocks because it's the only thing that will stick, but I've been loving your rock paintings. <laughs> thank you. But I, I hate the paint because I walk away for 10 minutes like I tend to do because I'm a wanderer. I will start a project <laughs> and then wander around and then come back to it 20 minutes later and all my paint is dry. And I just, I can't, I can't live like this. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I like painting with acrylic paint, but it definitely is is a thing where it's more like, 
I was about to say coloring, but like it is more like drawing with markers or stuff like that. It's a way of coloring in something. Oh, and I can't uh, get it to run smooth. It's all gloppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I have on occasion tried to work with acrylic paint as if it was oil paints. Like if you glob down thickly, you can move it around and mix it a little bit. But that usually winds up like sort of scratching up the the stuff that you're trying to paint on. And I know people are going to tell me I'm doing it wrong or there's some sort of technique that I'm missing here, but I just, I guess I can't do it. I'm sorry, acrylic paint lovers out there. You do (laughs) you. And I'm so impressed with what you can do with this paint, but it is just me and acrylic paint are literally oil and water. We do not go together. (laughs) Well, like if it's, if it doesn't work for the way you want to, or like to paint, then you Mm -hmm. don't like it. Like, yeah, sure. You could try different techniques, but if that's not what you want to do, then why bother? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of because like, I, th- I thought about this for a while and like the different kinds of things that I do and, and I'm also trying to think like am I going to be insulting anyone no but like there are things that certain ceramic artists both like production potters and artists do where I just I don't get it and I can't think of necessarily super specific examples that aren't specific artists and I don't want to call anyone out but I'm just like that you know, either is not pretty or isn't usable because that's something that I find sometimes. And I've made a couple of, of series of things where I didn't try them enough after I finished them. And I didn't realize until much later that like this actually isn't as good a handle as I thought or some angles need to be adjusted here because you watch you look at some mugs, for instance, and you're like that that handle would stab or that decoration will stab someone in the face. That's not a good idea. You can't actually mm-hmm. drink from it. It's super cute, but it's not useful. But that's more that I, I sort of see where I sometimes go wrong myself and that well, that's not actually useful and you're making something that's that's meant to be used. I think that's legitimate because like not everyone, but not every artist will be making something that needs to be used. It could look like an object that's a practical object, but have an impractical element on it that was just put there because that's what the artist wanted to put there. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like putting that bird on the lip of this (laughs) glass. Like it just, it needed to happen for me. And so it could become an object that gets used or displayed in, you know, different ways. So if that's not your thing and that's something that frustrates you, like, I think that that's legitimate. You don't have to like (laughs) everything that everyone else makes. Like there's a reason you choose to make the things you make in the first place, right? I do actually, I really like when things are very intentionally impractical. Like I I have a plan to make a really big teapot that's full of big round holes (laughs) so that like there's no way to actually, like it's very specifically totally unuseful and unusable. So that's, that's totally cool. It's when, when you're like, well, you're selling these as mugs, but there's no way to drink comfortably Mm -hmm. from them. I don't know, I think maybe like I'm sometimes just very sort of, this is one area where I'm kind of sort of libertarian about just be like, yeah, you do you, boo. And then in the moment, I'll be like, wow, that is ugly. But I don't have any like strong antipathies. Watch me like wake up to the, in, the, in the night and be like, damn it, I should, this is what I hate. But I will update <laughs> you if so. Well, that was, I really enjoyed answering all those questions uh i think we should do this again sometime because i like i like getting asked questions and i like answering them yeah thank you so much everyone who sent us questions uh and i really appreciated that they were like i said you know big and small high and low Uh, and it was good to make us 
think about ourselves and other people. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, listeners. So if you want to hear one of your questions on our show in the future, you can find us over at relay.fm slash make do. And that's where, where you, you can, can also give us find... money. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can give us membership money. Or you can find our show notes. And we're also over on Twitter at make do pod. And we are on Instagram at make do pod as well. And you can find us individually at Tiffany Armin and at Julia Scott S K O T T. So I actually got a really great email. Uh, I think you forwarded you forwarded it to me. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I want to talk about that next week. So we'll be <laughs> back in a fortnight to talk about my email. Woo! <laughs> and until then, go make and do.